Great. Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, we have just come back from YF camp, so I am recovering, but we're going to be okay today, I think. And uh, next week, we're starting a new sermon series for the summer. So this week is a sort of in-between week. And uh, on YF camp over the past few days, we've been doing a little series uh, in our evening meetings on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And today, I thought I would share about one of those particular fruit of the Spirit. And as I'm sure you're aware, we hear about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23. And those verses say, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And today I want to think about that fruit of faithfulness. And the fruit of the Spirit are those qualities that the Holy Spirit births in us as we continue to grow in our relationships with God. And uh, someone once said, if I had the spirit of a windsurfer, I could soar. If I had the spirit of a mountain climber, I could ascend great heights. If I had the spirit of a ship's captain, I could cross vast oceans. But whilst I don't have the spirit of a windsurfer, the spirit of a mountain climber, or the spirit of a ship's captain, I do have the spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit can produce in me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today, I want to think about what it means to live out that quality of faithfulness. And because these are fruits of the Holy Spirit, they can grow in us because as followers of Jesus, we have the seed of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We can be faithful because God is faithful and God lives in us. So our faithfulness to God has parallels with God's faithfulness towards us. The ultimate example of the faithfulness we're called to have with God is the faithfulness he shows towards us. And I do believe that this quality, this fruit of faithfulness that we hear about here in Galatians 5 is also to do with a faithfulness towards other people and a faithfulness in situations. But I want to focus today on what it means for us to be faithful towards God. And uh, we're going to look at a story in the Bible where we see God being faithful to a particular individual. And then we're going to look at a different passage of Scripture a bit later on as well. And uh, because our faithfulness to God has parallels with God's faithfulness towards us, I want to start by looking at that. What does it mean for God to be faithful towards us? And as I look back on my life and uh, how my parents have brought me up, and particularly how my mum mothered me, I see in them the closest example I have of a faithful relationship. The closest example I have of someone who has been faithful to me. As a baby, of course, I was completely dependent on my parents. And uh, if, if they hadn't been faithful towards me then, I'm sure I wouldn't be where I am today. 
As a child, when I was at school, if I needed help with my homework, they'd want to help me because they wanted me to do well in my studies. Uh, if I'd had an argument with a friend and I'd come home upset, my mum would listen to me and comfort me because she loved me. Um, uh, you know, there are no, a number, numerous examples of how my parents have been there for me when I needed them, and their faithfulness has been there towards me. When I was looking at uh, jobs for the future, I was thinking about what my, what my career might be for the future, initially thinking I was going to be a lawyer, and then going on to think about becoming a vicar. My parents supported me and encouraged me in that. They didn't place their own expectations on me, but uh, believed in me and supported me with my own decisions about the future. And even now, if I have a particularly difficult day, my mum is the first person I'll speak to because I know that she'll listen to me and comfort me and just encourage me to keep going. And my parents haven't given up on me as I've grown up because they love me. And I'm not a parent, but I'm guessing that if your child cries, you don't comfort them because it's the right thing to do. You do it because you love them. And it's natural instinct. It's one of the ways that your heart goes out to them, one of the ways that you show your love for them. And of course, my parents weren't perfect, and they got it wrong at times. But my parents' relationship with me is the closest example I have of God's faithfulness towards me. And whether it's a faithfulness of a parent towards us, or maybe the faithfulness of a close friend, or even a partner, I'm sure some of us, most of us, have some idea of what that feels like. To have someone behind us who is there for us, who's there to, to encourage us and support us, because they love us. Their faithfulness coming from that place of love. And... At the same time, any human relationship we try to compare to God's faithfulness towards us is, of course, going to fall short because humans are human and humans make mistakes and God is God and God is perfect. So I want to begin instead by looking at an example of God's faithfulness towards a particular individual in the Bible. And it's a story that probably we're fairly familiar with um, towards the end of the book of Genesis, uh, at the beginning of the Bible, from chapter 37 onwards, looking at the story of Joseph. And because this is quite a long story, I want to pick particular sections out of this rather than look at any one passage from that story in particular. So we find, that we find the story of Joseph from chapter 37 of Genesis through to the end of the book of Genesis. And we first meet Joseph when he is a young man of 17 years old and he's his father's most favourite son. And Joseph has two dreams in which he sees his parents and his brothers, represented by sheaves of corn and then the sun, moon and stars, bow down before him. And in his immaturity, and possibly in his pride, he decides to share these stories with his father and his brothers. And surprise, surprise, they're not all too impressed. And by the time we get to verse 18 of chapter 37, 
Joseph's brothers have had enough of Joseph, and they decide to sell him to the Midianites, who in turn sell him on to Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's household. Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's officials. And Joseph becomes a slave in Potiphar's household. And because this is quite a familiar passage, we, we can hear that and skim over it and go on to the main part of the story. But this is an incredibly serious situation that Joseph now finds himself in. He's gone from being his father's most favorite son, living a good life, to now a slave in Potiphar's household. And I can't really begin to imagine what Joseph must have been thinking as he began to reflect on that. Just how different his life was now to how it was only a very short time before then. In chapter 39, the story continues, and uh, Joseph continues to serve in Potiphar's household. And uh, Potiphar's wife begins to get the hots for Joseph. And uh, she does whatever she can to try and get him into her bed. And one day she grabs hold of Joseph's cloak, uh, trying to take him to bed. And Joseph slips out of the cloak and runs out of the door. And, Joseph, and, and Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of trying to take her to bed. And as a result, Joseph is falsely imprisoned in what was actually a dungeon. So now, not only has Joseph been removed from his home country, not only has he had to leave his brothers and his parents, not only has he been sold into slavery, but now he's been imprisoned on false charges. In the meantime, Joseph interprets the dreams of a cupbearer and a baker. But it's then two years before we hear any more of Joseph's life. And on the one hand, two years isn't an overly long time. But at the same time, when you're sat in a dungeon, two years is a very long time. And I reckon that Joseph must have been thinking to himself, how on earth could this have happened? What is going on? He had this great life, and now all of a sudden, he's at the lowest of the low. Things couldn't get a huge amount worse for Joseph. And before we move on, I wonder if there's something in Joseph's story that begins to resonate for you. Maybe you're in this place right now where you're looking back to what has been, to what was before, looking back to a good place, a place where you were at peace, and perhaps had a lightness of spirit. And for Joseph, 
one thing after another, in a really short space of time, just began to be stripped away from him. And perhaps that's something you've been finding happening in your life as well. Even if that's not the case, I'm sure we probably all know people who are going through that right now, or who have been in the recent past. And it can be, can be an incredibly difficult time to go through, and a time that doesn't make sense, a time that feels unfair. A friend of mine is going through this at the moment, and uh, in the past couple of years, his life has just been turned upside down. And uh, he used to have a good job, um, and uh, whilst he was working, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, because of that, he had to take time off uh, for sick leave to, for treatment. During that time, um, his long-term relationship with his girlfriend broke down. And uh, having finished his treatment, for some reason, he's not able to go back to work. And uh, he's holding on to God. He's doing his best to hold on to God. But naturally, he's going through it at the moment. And even looking in from the outside, from a slightly removed position... It hurts to see someone go through something that doesn't seem to make sense, that doesn't seem fair. Perhaps for you, it's not as extreme as that right now. But maybe life just feels really busy. There's a lot on your plate. Maybe you're struggling to find space to breathe. Maybe for you, uh, life feels a bit monotonous and you just want a change of life, something different to happen in your life. Or it could be something completely different. For Joseph, he's been falsely imprisoned for two years. We've actually skipped over some quite important parts of that story. So I want to go back and take a look at a couple of those. And we're going to go back to the time when Joseph is first taken into Potiphar's house as a slave. And verse 2 of chapter 39 says this. The Lord was with Joseph. And those, on the one hand, are some fairly simple words. Words that we're quite familiar with. As a church, we often talk about the presence of Jesus. It's a phrase we use quite a lot. But I wonder, because we're so familiar with the story, because we're so familiar with the phrase, whether at times we can forget the weight behind those words. The Lord was with Joseph. The God of all eternity. The God of all creation. The God who speaks and things are created. The God who is love. 
the God who in human history went on to defeat the power of sin and death. This God is with Joseph. In Advent we have that passage from Isaiah that talks about Jesus as the Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And if this God is with Joseph, if this God is with us, anything can happen. Situations can change. And even if they don't change, Jesus promises that he will be with us in the struggle. That he will not be far from the pain. That he will be in the muck. My friend that I spoke about a moment ago who is really going through some difficult times in his life, I'm just in awe of how he speaks about the presence of Jesus and how for him, the fact that Jesus is with him in the struggles has changed his perspective of everything that's going on in his life right now. As Joseph gets thrown into prison, um, verse 21 of chapter 39 once again says, The Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison guard. After Joseph correctly interprets one of Pharaoh's dreams, um, Joseph becomes the second most important person in Egypt after only Pharaoh himself. And as he begins to leave this period in his life, he gets married and he has two children, the second of whom he calls Ephraim, which means it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. This is the faithfulness of God. This is the God who will never leave us to go through difficult times in our lives on our own. Over the past few weeks, we've heard about one atrocity, one terrorist attack after another. Multiple attacks in France. Multiple attacks in Germany. The faithful God is the one who is not far from those attacks. The one who chooses to be intimately involved. The one who chooses to walk alongside victims and their families. And because he is the faithful God, he is the one who is able to make us fruitful in the land of suffering. We're looking today at the fruits of the Holy Spirit of faithfulness and that quality of faithfulness that the Holy Spirit births in us as we continue to follow Jesus. And there are parallels between this faithfulness of God towards us and the faithfulness that we can have towards God as well. And at this point, I want to look at a passage in the book of Hosea. 
perhaps a book that we're slightly less familiar with. Um, So I'm going to read from chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 8. Uh, In the New Bibles, it's on page 910. I don't know what page it's on in the Old Bibles. So here's Hosea 14, verses 1 to 8. Hosea says this, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the Jew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the corn. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. And this book of Hosea uses imagery of a faithful husband with an unfaithful wife. A wife who chooses to freely give herself to other men around about her. And marriage is all about the giving of self to the other. And Hosea uses this imagery uh, to symbolize Israel's unfaithfulness towards their faithful God. Just like Joseph, God had been completely faithful to Israel. He had delivered them from exile uh, in, uh, e- in Egypt and brought them to an abundant land. He had been completely faithful towards them. And yet Israel was giving herself to other gods around about her, particularly Baal and Asherah, and was committing things like murder and theft and sexual uh, immorality. And the pain that God felt at Israel's unfaithfulness is heightened all the more because God has been completely faithful. Often in a relationship where it breaks down when one partner goes off with someone else, the pain that uh, one partner can feel can be heightened all the more because at times it can seem so one-sided. Israel didn't trust that God could provide all her needs, her deepest needs. We need to know Jesus to the extent that we know that he's not going to drop us at our most vulnerable time. And often it can be, as we go through those vulnerable times, that our faithfulness is tested 
a deep knowing that Jesus is with us in those vulnerable times. That his faithfulness towards us is enough. What we see in Jesus is an unswerving commitment towards us. And he's calling us to seek to mirror that same commitment to him as well. That this commitment to being faithful to him wouldn't come out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of having to do the right thing, but simply because we love him. Just like a parent loves their child and is faithful towards them because they love them. In a sense, this uh, story of Joseph, um, if there was ever a time when Joseph was going to be unfaithful to God and to Potiphar, now was surely the time. He'd been trafficked out of his home country, sold into slavery, and now Potiphar's wife was doing whatever she could to get him into bed. If there was ever a time that Joseph was going to be unfaithful, now was it. And yet Joseph knew in his heart of hearts that only God could meet that deepest need in his heart. In this particular passage of Hosea, uh, God is calling his bride, Israel, to come back to him, calling him to a time of repentance. And that when Israel did that, he would freely forgive them freely heal the pain and the hurt that Israel had caused herself. And it's that same level of forgiveness that God is longing to pour out upon us as well. We are the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And as we seek and we strive to be faithful to Jesus, at times we slip. At times we do make mistakes and we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people and we hurt God. But God longs to forgive and be and continues to be faithful towards us as he always has been. And I think at times our lack of faithfulness can feel as if we're trapped, as if almost we can be wrapped in chains. And when we receive God's forgiveness, it's like we feel those chains ripping off us. And it's in those times that we really experience what freedom in Christ is all about. And as we move on in our service, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time when we just come back to God, just ask him to pour out his love and his grace once again. That we would experience those chains being lifted off us. That we would experience the freedom of a faithful God pouring out his love on his people that we can be the faithful people he calls us to be. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing some songs and then we're going to pray together. Shall we stand?